Welcome to Equestrian Movement's Best Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our first Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling, and husbandry, or an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today I'm super excited to introduce to you Ainsley from AB Equine Therapy. Ainsley has been a licensed massage therapist for over 10 years. She's dual certified in equine bodywork as well as equine rehabilitation. Ainsley is passionate about correct equine biomechanics and the role it plays in long-term soundness. Her clientele is international, ranging from FEI competitors to retired pasture ponies. Education is one of the key pillars in her work. Her courses cover equine behavior, massage therapy techniques, identifying pain and soundness issues, as well as her own treatment method, the movement feedback method. Ainsley is an equestrian therapist, educator, and most importantly, an advocate for the horse always. In her spare time, you can find her teaching clinics internationally and working with her two personal horses, Killpen Rescues, Belgium Draft, Sherman, and her OTTB Charlie. I had such a great time talking to Ainsley about all things movement and functional movement and soundness in our horses and how we can start assessing it to do a better job of working with our horses. I can't wait to hear from you about all of the gems and aha moments that you've taken away from this interview. Make sure you leave a review. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it with us over on Instagram stories. Let us know what you've taken away from today's episode and how you're going to start implementing it today with your horse. Without further ado, let's meet Ainsley. Hi Ainsley, we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. I have been stalking you for quite a while. I love everything that you do and I think that we're going to pick up some really magical gems from you today. Uh, Could you introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do? Yes, thank you so much for having me. Um, So my name is Ansley Bevan. My business is AB Equine Therapy. I'm a licensed massage therapist in the state of Florida for going on 11 years now. I also have certifications in equine rehabilitation as well as equine massage. Um, And I I have a lot of, um, I guess you could say, tutorials and information and things via my socials. So most of my following is on Instagram and Facebook. And then I also do, I have my hands-on clients where I do equine massage and rehabilitation with them um, in the state of Florida. And I I also kind of travel. So I'll travel and I teach clinics. Um, I actually recently got back from a clinic in Portugal, which was really nice. 
And then on top of all that I do, I have my online education. So I offer classes and tutorials and things like that um, through my online school, which is equine wellness education. So those are kind of in my realm. Those are the things that I do. And um, it's all about, for me, just not only the body work, but also the horsemanship, equine welfare. Um, these are all things that I'm really passionate about. So yeah, I love it. So good. We're going to have all the links to how people can work with you in the show notes. Uh, so what are the biggest kind of issues you're finding yourself working with with body work at the moment? So I guess on a superficial level, I I would say, um, you know, muscular pain and tension through the body and the myofascial system. A big one that I see is through the back. Um, and as we all know, this can a lot of times come from saddle fit, which is a big one that I see. A lot of the horses I tend to work on are in the show circuit um, as hunter jumpers. So I do dabble every now and then I'll get someone who just rides dressage or does cross country or eventing. Um, but for the most part, I'd say I work with hunters and jumpers. Um, so these horses are showing a lot. They have a pretty heavy workload. Um, they're traveling around. They're, they're fairly involved. So the amount of time they're getting ridden and, you know, if you, if you have a, the workload a is, is one, is one factor to it. And then obviously you have a saddle. So if your saddle fit is a little bit off or is it correct, or someone just doesn't know any better, um, you know, that can cause a big problem. So I do see a lot of back stuff with the horses that I work on. And then I also see, um, feet, feet tend to be a problem as we know, that can be a precursor to larger problems down the road. So I do run into sometimes uh, tendon and ligament problems in the distal limbs. And it's from a diagnostic point of view, are there a lot of factors to this? Yes. But in my opinion, a lot of the feet of the horses that I work on um, tend to be tend to be a problem as well. <laughs> so not necessarily a problem that I address um, because I'm, you know, more soft tissue, but those are definitely two of the big things that I see. Yeah, it is so multifactorial, right? It's like, um, you know, getting called out to help somebody with a behavioral issue and you look at the horse and you're like, well, it needs a bit more feeds. Your saddle doesn't fit. You haven't like yeah. set your bridle properly. The hooves, aren't being trimmed correctly like I don't know who you're using as a farrier but maybe we should talk to them about how the hooves are getting put together yeah and now we've got like you know a couple months of in-hand work that we have to do before like if it was my horse before I would even want to sit on their back and yeah um, you know the, the only way that the horse has to communicate these issues is their behavior like body language and behavior it's impossible to tease the two apart um, because we can assign you know behavioral issues as a problem but it's just the horse trying to communicate to us so there's just so many and it's like it's no wonder it's overwhelming for a lot of horse owners especially like horse owners just starting out and that kind of thing because there are so many things that we need to kind of like put together to to get that full picture of having a, a happy sound horse, mm -hmm. the, the happy sound horse that's willingly engaged in training and is excited for you to ride them is the magical unicorn. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, I, and it does get tough, you know, when you're in a position like, 
or yourself or myself or an equine practitioner who is aware of these things, right? And we're pretty heavy on the horsemanship part of it and, and the groundwork and, you know, reinforcing these things positively and reading the horse's behavior to, to get all these pieces of the puzzle. So you have a mentally and physically happy sound horse. It's hard because, you know, when competition takes priority for these riders or, you know, these trainers that maybe just are a little bit blind to those aspects, it gets really hard when they bring someone like myself in and they say, Hey, singularly, this is the problem, fix this, but that's just not how I operate, you know? So I'm, I'm a whole picture, a whole horse kind of person. So I'm like, okay, let's look at their feet. What are they eating? Let's look at the tack. How are you riding? How many different people ride this horse? How is this horse handled? How much turnout does the horse have? Are they in a little tiny 10 by 10 field, um, you know, six hours a day and, and we're thinking that's enough? Like, like what else is going on here? So those are the questions that I ask and the things that I like to know. And more often than not, the solution is very obvious to me, but sometimes <laughs> it's not obvious to other people because yeah. that's just not how they see things. They don't see things through that lens. Um, so it gets really difficult because when someone calls me out there to just say, hey, can you, can you fix this soreness? around the SI, you know, because can you just loosen up these gluteals or whatever? Normally, it's not even that specific. It's just, hey, like my horse is ouchy. Can you fix it? I mean, so yes and no. Yes, I can. I can fix a piece of that, but that's not your only problem. So then you get into the delicateness of can I bring this up to this person? Are they open-minded enough to hear it? What are they going to do with the information? How can I present it in a way that they're going to understand it? Um, are there steps that can be taken to, you know, realistic steps that can be taken for this horse, you know, and owner to kind of get to the other side. And I've got to tell you, like, I get messages from practitioners all over equine therapists that are kind of like, you know, how do you bring this up? Or how do you handle this situation? And it's not any easier for me than it is for anybody else. Because the fact of the matter is, if the person is not ready to hear it, or doesn't want to hear it, nothing you can do is going to change that situation. And you just then have to say to yourself, this is somebody that I'm not going to be able to work with, and you release yourself from it. You know what I mean? And, And I've been in that situation, because it gets hard to continuously see the horse over and over again. And the problem is the same, but it's not because I'm not doing my job. It's because of all these other factors that are involved. So one, it dilutes what I'm doing because it makes it seem like I'm not doing my piece, you know, like I'm, I'm not pulling my weight. Um, when in reality, there are other factors at play, but nobody wants to hear that. Um, so it dilutes what I do. And it also is stressful. You know, it makes me feel bad because me seeing this horse who every time I see them is like in this, this poor state and emotionally, it's very draining, you know, it's hard. So there have been people that I've worked with in the past that I've kind of distanced myself from and, Hey, you know, I'm booked up, I'm sorry, or referred them to someone else or, you know, said my piece. And then it just didn't work out because ethically I just, that's the way I operate. I, I mean, I can't, you know what I mean? Sure, <laughs> for sure. I am like nodding away to everything that you're saying here because I I feel it so much. It's um one of the situations for us is like being able to be in that writing school environment. I've been able to control all of those external and environmental factors and the students. So if they don't yeah. like toe the line to our philosophical values of how we want to engage with the horse, then I send them to the writing school around the corner that just does bashing and that doesn't worry about yeah. the horses <laughs> yeah I think you, you, you do have to have like the people on board with 
putting the horse's interests first if we're going to create happy sound horses that enjoy work and enjoy being ridden and enjoy learning. And that's so, it's such a critical piece of the puzzle because I mean, I didn't understand or know that whole side of things until I was into my twenties. And I've been around horses, you know, since I was a child, I'm not like a I wasn't like a horse show kid because, you know, we just didn't have the money, but I've been around them. You know, I've, I've whatever backyard barns or my neighbor had some horses and I'm mucking out stalls in exchange for time in the saddle, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but I, I never, I wasn't, Oh, I never saw or was introduced to the whole behavioral aspect of it, you know, until, and I got to say, it wasn't even like someone opened my eyes or showed me. I just started having these revelations on my own and digging deeper. It wasn't like that information was readily available. Um, no offense to any of the trainers or anyone that I've worked with in the past, like, you know, maybe they just didn't know either, but that information was not given to me. It was not, it was just, you know, Oh, put more leg on, put the crop on. Let's, let's put the lead line behind him and force him on the trail or whatever, any situation. Like I've, I've lived through it and I've done it the wrong way and quote unquote wrong. Cause that's kind of how I feel about it now. But at the time it was normal. Like I just, I didn't know. So that's one of the reasons that I'm have kind of adopted the position I have on my socials and and all my education is kind of through this lens and it's it's to give to to people because I never had it and I just feel like it does make such a difference. I mean, if anybody is like me and you have that crazy kind of horse girl mentality, it means you just feel it in your soul. Like these creatures are so pure, they deserve the best. They just open something up inside me that's like I'm so passionate about it you know what I mean (laughs) I'm like staring out the window at my horses and I'm emotional because they're just so I love them so much and it's every horse not just mine so I mean I really just feel that people need the information they need to know that there is this whole other side of horsemanship um and riding that is not just you know the shows and and all of that and the ribbons and oh my horse is grumpy my horse is a chestnut mare my horse is just hungry or doesn't like to be outside or doesn't like or whatever every excuse in the book I've heard them all you know but there's there's so much more to it so that's why I you know I've kind of moved a lot um recently into online education and I I put as much free information out there as I can and I really just try to to answer anything and like I said just give the info because I never had it and I feel like the more people that know these things. I mean, that's how we make a change. Right. So I kind of feel like I found this whole little niche of people who kind of feel the same. And I try to nurture that and just lean into that, you know? Yeah. I love it. That that's why we are really enjoying this online space as well is that sometimes it can be hard locally to find people who are ready to commit and advocate for their horse and quite often you know those people they are on the outer of like the active industry because they're just you know so um disheartened by like what is happening in in the competitive space and that kind of thing so they you know kind of draw themselves away from it so they're a little bit harder to find but we find all you guys online <laughs> looking for yeah. a better way looking for other support yeah. Well, that was the that's the thing too is like this online community wasn't here ten years ago, you know. So it it really has changed things, and to be able to connect with people all over the world who have the same values and are trying to do the same things, it's really cool. It is so cool, and it is really nice because you know everybody like yourself, kind of 
spends this amount of time working in the industry with the horses, getting disheartened by, you know, this, um, the way that our big competitive um, places have gone and taken it and kind of obsessed into something (laughs) like everybody that I've spoken to on the podcast is like you know taking this thing that they've been working on and they've just like obsessed into it and created something new something fresh something different that's not just this like handed down watered down um information at the moment we're like putting kids through certificates at the school just so that they have those certificates to say that they've done the work but you know some of the stuff we have to teach them we're like this is incredibly dated information. This is how you're going to have to answer the question. And this is what's like currently science-based information that you can take forward with what you're doing. It's just like, it's so hard to keep going with this like trajectory in the industry when, you know, those big players aren't keeping up with like how we're shifting in the industry and how much like amazing information is coming through from people like yourself and other people who like you know really scientifically scientifically go down that study route and find these things that you know it's it's kind of like like with doctors is that that you get stuck in their ways and then like the new kind of wave of doctors come through with like that fresh education and we can have like a wave of new information come through that the old ones can be very um, resistant to the new information that comes through because they've worked that way for so long and now that means they're wrong and it's not we have to be able to let go of practicing theory when we start learning new practicing theory yeah even for my students that have been around me for like more than 10 years um will be like oh but Katie you said something different like 10 years ago I'm like yes because I keep learning and I keep like reading and and making sure that I'm on top of current information and I keep learning and growing so you know definitely the philosophy that I was practicing from 10 years ago is very different to what I've been practicing from in the last couple of years following you know, even people like Dr. Steve Peters, who is a neurosurgeon and dissects horse brains and that kind of thing. Like, yes, we can say that horses are emotional beings. 15 years ago, when I started in the industry, uh, one of my peers told me that horses can't be sad because they can't cry. And it's like, well, just because they don't have like the capacity to produce Um, tears doesn't mean that they don't have that like internal hormonal adjustment to their experience like definitely they they do shift quicker out of sadness than we do but they do experience like you know that emotional and and hormonal influence from their environmental factors the same way that we do yeah no I, I totally agree um you know there were things that even five years ago that I might look back on and say well you know my my viewpoint isn't exactly the same yeah um I find I you know it's hard because when you when you really do believe in something or it's really working then that's kind of you know that's something you're gonna really dive into and and yeah. practice a lot and preach a lot so but we all adapt we all change so I mean, that's a, the natural way of life, I guess. You can't mm-hmm. stay the same forever, viewpoints and everything. But um, yeah, for the most part, I think that there is, um, well, I think it's 
from my side is how I feel a little bit of a shift, maybe in the right direction. And maybe it's just the algorithm pushing people my way that are like <laughs> like-minded like me, or maybe it's really happening. I don't know. Um, but it does seem that more people are aware of equine behavior and um, just more, more ethical horsemanship, ethical riding, um, ethical training and all of that, which obviously goes hand in hand with, with body work as a healing modality and really looking at the horse's behavior and picking that apart and then saying, well, what can we do for them physically and mentally to address this? Because now that we've read them and seen that there's a problem now we, okay, here, what can we do with that information? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of accounts, a lot of podcasts, a lot of things out there to learn from, and that I think are kind of paving the way, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> for lots of other um, young equestrians and older equestrians to follow and, and learn from. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I I don't think that we can truly appreciate, not that I'd wish it on anybody, but I think it's hard to appreciate uh, what we expect of our horses when they're experiencing pain and what they have to work through when they're experiencing pain and unless we have experienced it in, in some way ourselves. It's like I have always um well I can't say always because I didn't have um training as uh basically like a physiotherapy or an exercise therapy front of mind when I was a child ever that was not why I rode it wasn't until like I was having to train and work horses competitively and keep them sound in the school and that kind of thing uh one of my mentors said you know that if a horse is working correctly it shouldn't go unsound unless it has a paddock injury and so that has been that was that was said to me 20 years oh. ago so <laughs> but that was kind of like a driving mentality for me for like a lot of my early career was like how can we use training to not only maintain but also enhance the soundness of the horses and I just ended up like seeing how much of an impact it's like us riding the horses has on the horses it's like we are the biggest stress on their body they do have to carry us we are asking them to have these athletic endeavors and a lot of riders don't come to the training sessions with the idea of being their horses PT like how to structure exercises so that it improves the horse's overall soundness and function and it wasn't until like I I seriously injured my neck a while back I couldn't even um hold a plate up like to do the dishes because of how badly I'd injured my neck I like had no strength in my body to do anything and it it has always taken some kind of exercise therapy along with like, you know, body work with massage and that kind of thing to support that, to like get me through those periods of injury to, to my body like that. And so it's been, um, you know, just so pivotal to me to make sure that the way that I'm working with the horses, even within the school with the beginners is make sure that the exercise is enhancing, you know, their functional soundness and and movement and, and whatnot and then um supporting the ability to relax into that movement as well it's you know like you're saying it's one of those things where if the exercise is creating the pain and the soreness because they're not working like straight they're not working with good core engagement good postural alignment that kind of thing then yeah. the areas of their body are just tightening 
to prevent further damage, like blowing a disc or tearing a ligament or or something like that. So just like massaging this tension out of their body isn't going to improve the symptoms that you're seeing because we have to address the functional movement of the way that they get and then the massage can support that. Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's part of the reason that I wanted to go, um, you know, outside of the realm of just massage and, and go down the the path of rehabilitation and getting certified in that, um, because there, there's so much more to it. You know, we've talked about all those other little pieces of the puzzle, but you're absolutely correct with the movement, the biomechanics of it, which almost every rider (laughs) trainer has little to no understanding of, which I shouldn't laugh at that because it's true. And it's not, I don't mean it to be belittling. It's just, those are the facts of the case. Um, unless you are well-versed in this, um, you know, physio and how it all comes together and the biomechanics, then you're just, you're just not going to have that integral information. Um, and I always do my best to kind of compare it to the human side of things, because I feel like, like you said, if you can relate it to yourself, then you can kind of put your, your mind into the horse, right. And into their body and what they're feeling. So, you know, me being a massage therapist for people, and then my mom's a physical therapist for people. And then I've worked in a lot of chiropractic offices, you know, as an accessory to their practice for people. So I really try to bring all that together when I'm explaining things to people uh, about their horse. I'm like, listen, you know, just because we've like, okay, just because we've addressed the tension near the pole, that doesn't change, you know, the hyperflexion and the fact that they're hollowed out through the back. And the fact that there's always going to like, this tension is going to keep coming back. If they're constantly broken at the cervical vertebrae, you know, not using the back or the, the core correctly, and then also putting strain on the hind end. And then this is why, and I'm, you know, connecting the dots. It's like, you can't, it's what we call the band-aid solution, right? So I hate to term myself as a band-aid solution, but in some situations, that's what it is. You know, oh, I'm having the chiro come out. I'm having the the massage therapist come out, the body worker, the PMF, the acupuncture, whatever it is. That's great. Do it. Do it all. Absolutely. I'm not in any way saying these are bad, but you have to address the other pieces because if you don't, you're only addressing the most superficial layer and you know, the, Oh, well, my horse is still girthy. Well, guess what? Maybe that horse has ulcers. Maybe it's not even anything. And it's just a negative learned behavior from the past and people don't get it. It's like, you are always, I saw a quote the other day. Oh, I don't remember where it was probably Instagram, but it said something along the lines of you are always training or reinforcing a behavior in your horse, which is absolutely true. Every opportunity and interaction you have with your horse is either training like something new or you're reinforcing a training or a behavior that's already there. So when you think about, um, I think like eight people out of 10 would say, well, where I live anyway, would say, yeah, I have a girthy horse who pins their ears or nips or gets a little, eh, when you try to do up the girth, well, that you're not doing anything to undo that behavior. Let's say you've already taken care of the symptom. It's 50, 50, maybe it's there, maybe it's not, I don't know. Or the, the cause rather, um, let's say that there's nothing there even causing the pain that they learn that reaction from, but you haven't untaught them that, you know, you haven't said, Hey, let's, let's reinforce this with something else or create a a positive atmosphere. Maybe you girth from the other side. Maybe you give a treat. Maybe you give a pat. Maybe you go slower. Maybe you don't cinch up as tight. Have you tried any of these things? And the answer is always no. Cause they're just like, this is just how the horse is. I've had them checked. I've had their back looked at. I've had them scoped. I did it. You know, and they go down the laundry list of things they've had done for the horse. Oh, this horse gets acupuncture three times a month. This horse gets this, this, that there's no way anything's going on. I'm like, listen, you're missing the point. 
point though. Okay. If you're, if you're adamant and you're 110% that there's nothing actively going on, then this is your opportunity to train. This is you not just continuing to reinforce this negative association that the horse has. You have to get past that. I mean, I think, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but I think abroad, a lot of times they're a lot better with this than they are here in the US, specifically when it comes to kissing spine, because that's a big one that you have, you know, you continue to have those negative reactions afterwards because the horse has lived so long with this discomfort. So like the saddle, the pad, back, anything, you know, the girthing up, that tends to continue to be an issue, even if you've done the rehab or you've done a surgical procedure, anything like that to kind of, um, uh, address the kissing spine, but it's like, so in the UK, I know if you're with a, a proper physio, you, you know, they, they really focus on, Hey, okay, now we're going to retrain that behavior. We're going to get rid of that negative association. I've not once, not once encountered a veterinarian. Again, I hate to say it like this because it makes me sound like I'm being really negative about, you know, the, the care here, but I, this is just my personal experience. I've never encountered a veterinarian or a trainer um, really talk about that whole piece of it. I'm the one who's having to tell the rider or the horse owner or the trainer, hey, this is this is a secondary aspect to that pathology that you now have to deal with. So how are you going to deal with it? Because mm -hmm. then they'll be like, well, you know, the horse is totally fine. We've done the procedure. We've done the rehab. We've done everything. But I still have the X, Y, Z, these symptoms. And it's like, you, you, but you didn't address them. So I don't know. My, I guess my point there was just, you know, <laughs> there's so, there's so many pieces to it and you can't ignore the behavior because the behavior is always telling you something. If it's not leading you to a problem that you haven't found out yet, then the behavior itself is something that needs to be retrained essentially right or take that have that negative association taken away because yeah. if it's still there and it's still persisting then like something's going on that's kind of my take on it yeah at least sure. no i agree totally thanks for joining us for this first episode with ainsley from ab equine therapy ainsley has been kind enough to share with us a 20 percent discount offer for her advanced therapy course Make sure you jump on the link in the show notes and enter the code shown below to get that discount. Join us next week for part two of our chat with Ainsley. Until then, happy trails. If you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast, you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you. If you're working with or riding horses, you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be. Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you, especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, building a connection with your horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection and I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse 
and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.